I would like to tell you a story. Knife Talk is sponsored by Evenheat, the manufacturers of the finest knife treat ovens available. Find your next heat treat oven at evenheat-kiln.com. Welcome to Knife Talk, the podcast for knife makers and knife enthusiasts. I'm Jeff Fader from Fader Knives. With us always is Mareko Momasi. Great to hear your voice. Fire Arts. What's up? And Craig Lockwood, the birthday boy. Ooh, Happy yeah. birthday. How are you? How's I'm everybody? Good. Very good. Very good. I feel, I'm feeling old, but uh, very How good. old are you actually? Because I know Jeff posted that you turned 50, but I don't think you're 50. Me? Me? <laughs> Me? It's outrage. <sighs> Details of my aging have been greatly exaggerated. <laughs> um, oh. I'm, uh, I'm 42. 42. Oh, boy. <sighs> This is quite a, this is yeah, hard. This has been quite a, this is quite an age discrepancy. I was under the impression that I wasn't the oldest, but clearly I am. (laughs) Fine. Oh, fuck. It shows. All right, all right. right. Well, you know, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. So what's been everybody up to this week? I've been, I'm still in the UK. Um, I fly back on Tuesday. Um, But but doing lots of bits and pieces. So I've met up with quite a few chefs here. Um, got a few custom knife orders. Um, one very, very exciting order this week is um, for somebody who works at Lego. So I'm not actually allowed to call it the Lego knife. Mm. So it'll be the well, – I'll have to call it something differently. Um, but, um, yeah, it's going to be um, – <laughs> the handle is going to be bricks of Lego um, cast in a resin. So it just looks like a Lego handle. And I've you know, the, even got those angled oh. pieces for the transition to the blade and so on. So it's all Lego. So it should look really, really cool. Yeah, just call it the, so the modular gonna, brick. The modular brick handle. That's the one. That's the one. Yeah. <laughs> so it, the handles are going to be made out of Legos. Lego, Lego, not Legos. Wait, Lego. So it's just, it's just one no Lego S, then. No S. It's just one brick that you're going to do it out of. <laughs> You Americans, you don't understand, do you? You just don't understand. It's Lego. No, no matter how many you have, it's Lego. It's it's a bunch of Lego. So, so if you're referring to Lego plural, you say Lego. Yes, exactly. Yeah, look at all that uh-huh. Lego over there, for example. <laughs> when I was growing up, <laughs> when I was growing up, my parents used to say, "Pick up your Legos." Ah, they were wrong. They were wrong. Well, that's you. You're not wrong. You know what? I know my parents, and you might be right. Now, all of a sudden, you're making a lot of sense. Before, I didn't believe you, but when you started saying my parents were wrong, I think you might be right. <laughs> Some, something else this week. So um, the guys on the forum, I've, I've had this idea for a while. I'm having a, I mean, a lot of us work alone on our own, and we never really get to see other people's work apart from pictures and so on. So I had this idea of a knife where different people do different stages of this knife. So they'll do a little stage. They'll mail it on to the next person. They'll do a stage, and it's sort of a round robin. So I thought this could be a good cause knife. So we'll get a bunch of people making this knife. We'll auction it off for charity, and it'll then go to a good cause. So we've had a bunch of people already. We've got Bob Rankin, who's doing the the billet. Um, it's going to be a Damascus knife. Um, we've got a bunch of people already sort of claimed a spot of what they're going to do, whether that's the shaping or the handle or whatever. Um, but have a look on the forum. So um, knifetalk.net forward slash forum um, and just have a look at the, the slots available. If there's something that you want to do, 
put your name down. Um, and hopefully we'll get about a dozen people working on this one knife. Wow. Um, and it'll be interesting to see the results because I think that sort of design by committee doesn't normally go too well. But um, <laughs> it will be interesting to see. It will be interesting to see. And again, it'll be for a good cause. For sure. It's going to be great. It's going to look like an Italian sub. <laughs> it's going to look like an Italian sub. It's going to look like it's going to be great. I can't wait. Yeah. Going to be. So what have you guys been up to? Morocco, what have you been doing? Uh, I've just, I'm still working away on a couple knives right now. There are a couple large mosaic chef's knives. And uh, one has a Buckeye, uh, what is it, a Japanese cowboy style handle sculpted from Buckeye. And uh, I'm working on putting the finishing coats uh, on the handle right now. And it's really, it's really helping make that grain really pop and I, I just love this new finish that i'm using and then uh and then the other knife i i was working actually on hand sanding uh if you missed the live feed uh i think we're going to try to figure out how to get it down off the internet maybe uh we'll see but um keep your eyes open for more of those things i actually actually have to do some more hand sanding tomorrow so i might pop in for another actually live feed tomorrow uh on instagram while uh you know, after the after the uh, the podcast drops, and I got some work to do, but yeah, it's going good. It was mm-hmm. really, it was really. I watched it. It was so informative. It was so great. Everyone asked great questions, and you were so engaging. I I, I was like blown away at how great it was, and it was totally a resource that uh, people should use. And we should obviously we should do it more. Um, I have a question for you, Mareko. I know you, you've referred to this a few times. You've referred to this a few times, and I'd like to get uh, just a little bit more. Uh, you you call that you call that style? I think it's your style. You call it Japanese cowboy. What's that all about? Uh, I mean, it's. I thought that was a sexual position. <laughs> I didn't didn't know what you, you know were what? talking about. We're going to get some complaints, my brother. It's not just <laughs> me, everybody. It's not just me. You ah. <laughs> sexual position have mercy it, go it ahead is, it is uh it is my take on blending or i guess combining a western style handle um which is like the japanese or sorry the western that's the european style handle right and uh right. yeah and so it's got the belly and it's got all the curves and everything and then blending that with um kind of the japanese aesthetic of the faceted handles octagonal or angular handles and i the the way i I came across it or uh, started messing with it is uh, when when I hog off material to sculpt my Western, like the fully contoured, curvy Western-style handle, I just take big old hogs at an angle and just grind, 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 and grind it away. And one time, um, everything looked really nice and, and kind of symmetrical around the handle, and I held it, and I was like, you know what? This is actually kind of comfortable. And so I did a, I finished that handle out, but on, I did a, a, a kind of like a proof of concept after following that. And, uh, it actually was way more comfortable, uh, than I expected. And it's, it's just that the, the facets, uh, just kind of key into the individual kind of segments of your fingers really nicely. And I, I know a lot of, especially professionals who love working with Japanese knives. One of the key things they love about, uh, the Japanese knives is their handles um, because those different facets kind of give you uh, areas to index to when you're doing doing certain processes. So it's kind of mm. like ratcheting it to a specific degree, the blade in your or the handle in your hand, if you're going to fillet uh, a fish versus, you know, mincing or, you know, doing your mirepoix or, you know, 
just all kinds of different processes. And, um, and so, and, and be, those facets also kind of give you a, a kind of a point of leverage or to anchor down and really get a solid grip versus a fully contoured handle. Uh, there can, especially if it's really round, uh, it, it can uh, roll in your hand unexpectedly if you don't, if you're not holding the knife uh, also partially by the blade kind of in a pinch grip. And so, yeah, so it's just kind of a play, a, a play on that kind of blending those two worlds and aesthetics and, and, and also kind of trying to blend those curves with the facets is a really hard thing to do, to do it right, to let, and also for it to look right more than anything for it to look right, but also for it to function properly. And, uh, I know myself and Don Nguyen and, uh, there's a maker in Ireland, but he's from the Netherlands. His name's, uh, Jelle Hasenberg, uh, and he's on Instagram. Oh yeah yeah, 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 yeah. He does an, a yeah. phenomenal do- job doing these kind of this blend of this faceted and curvaceous handle, uh, beautiful stuff. And I think a lot more people are picking it up and finding that it, it's it's a nice aesthetic and it's functional. Hmm. One it thing looks I really cool. It looks amazing. And one thing and we talked about this in the Hammer episode, and I think there is a, is a relationship between those facets and the way hammer handles are. Um, you're, when I started using hammers, I noticed that if the handle was too round, you're, you're actually squeezing the handle too hard. Mm. You know, you're squeezing it hard, but when it's, when you have those facets, you're, it's like taking a little bit of pressure off your grip. And, and I think that that's one thing, especially with those wasp handles, the, the, the facets do the same thing. And, And I think that, um, I think it's amazing. I love the fact that you've kind of, you, you're, you're, you're setting yourself up and as you know, that. When you're creating something that's yours and it's it's um they're i mean they're beautiful they're be- really beautiful thank you yeah. yeah i've got a question about your finish as well so you mentioned using buckeyed bill so i'm assuming that's stabilized is it absolutely you have to so what finish are you using on that then because normally with a stabilized um, handle for me it's just sort of sanding and buffing so what are you using as a finish? Is it impregnating at all? How does that work? No, I mean, I, things I've definitely used uh, in the past that work really well and get great results are, uh, especially in, in, our, in our traditional, very traditional, uh, especially in woodworking, is using like a tongue oil. Uh, and when I would do the tongue oil, you know, I'd spread a, a, a coat on and let it do its thing and kind of sit for about five minutes and go back and wipe it back down to remove any excess and then allow it to cure at least for, uh, in, in, we have like a warm room at the shop. Um, so, so it's hovering around 65, 70 degrees and, um, you let that kind of set up and then I actually would go back after about an hour and put another coat on. And so throughout a day, um, depending on how distracted you get with other work, you know, you can go and get five or six coats on that thing. And once you're all done, it buffs out beautifully. Um, or, and, you know, and then you want to let it so solidly it's sort of cure. So it's and, and protecting yeah, even more. Yeah, and you can, nice, and you want nice. to let it solidly cure at least overnight. Um, but what's great about the tongue oil is that, you know, you can get tongue oil at the local hardware store, whether it be whatever, you know, Home Depot or, or Ace Hardware or wherever. And, and so it's readily accessible, uh, for folks. And so if they want to touch up their own handles after it gets to your customer and they've had it for a few years, they can definitely do that themselves. 
Um, and that's what I really like trying to do is create processes that customers can do for themselves. That's I mean, that's why I, I did the coffee process because I've had customers want to thin their knives or something like that, but then they're worried about losing that pattern. But if they can go to the grocery store and get a thing of instant coffee and a, you know, a, yeah. a spaghetti storage container and let it soak in there for, you know, overnight and have a, a beautifully etched knife the next day, like pfft, more power to them. I think it's a good thing to try to encourage your customers to try to kind of take more ownership and have and and having a strong relationship with their tools. Uh, you know, it's the, it's the same reason people go out and spend hours waxing and washing their cars or mowing their lawns yeah. or yeah. all that kind of stuff. You know, so it's trying to create processes that customers can do on their own. So one, so they can leave me alone and <laughs> have their own kind of sense of independence. But that way people aren't sending knives back to me all the time to, you know, have the blades thinned or have the handles touched up and stuff like that. And it's all stuff they can do on their own. Um, so nice, yeah. nice maintenance tips. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff, what, yes. what's your week been like? Well, uh, this was the, this was the real last week of, uh, young Carl Childs. He, uh, he has his last day here and, uh, uh, we were very, we had a good time. I took him out for dinner. Uh, and he's, uh, in the process of, of getting his visa to go to, he's going to spend some time in a, so Carl, uh, finished hand sanding some knives. I took him out for some sushi and then he's waiting for his visa to go to India. Uh, he's going to work on a farm he's got a farm lined up and he's going to work on a farm for a month and then he's going to travel all through India and then he's going to travel through, you know, Asia and then he's going to get ready for college. Uh, in the meantime, I, uh, I finished some really nice knives. I read you tonight for a chef that I've been it's been on my mind for quite a long time. I kind of did the third variation of a knife that I'm going to be doing with, uh, well, fuck it. We're going to do with chef Mark Vetri. I'm really excited about, nice. uh, that's going to get picked up this week and taken down to him in Philly. I'm really p- p- pumped about that. Uh, and then I did a, uh, I, I did this very, very thin, flexible, uh, Gravelox slicer. I make a lot of Gravelox, which is like smoked salmon, but it's not smoked. It's cured salmon. And you need a very flexible, long, thin slicer so you can get nice, thin slices. And I hated mine, and I decided to give mine a whirl. And that's going to be my tip for the today. Everyone's like, how did you make it so flexible? It was super, super flexible. I had, and we're going to talk about that today um, at my, I guess, knife maker, whatever, what you call it. And it's been busy. It's been it's been a busy uh, it's been a real busy week. And um, I'm uh, excited to get to the next week. Let's go. I did see that knife, that flexible knife. It looked incredible. Looked really. Yeah. You know what? It was assist. It was it was a very everyone. I mean, I got I fell into something that was very uh, easy to do and very replicatable, and it's going to be very good for. you know, doing flexible fillet knives, and I'm going to talk about how I did it, and at the at the right time of the podcast. Now is not the right cool. time. Yeah, cool. and Carl, so, it's, so it's, Carl's gone. Yeah, pardon me. So Carl's gone. Is is, is he getting a, you getting a replacement for Carl, or are you just walking um, around the shop talking to yourself now? I what, uh, <laughs> I was going to I was going to uh, I, yes at some point I am going to uh, replace Carl. I'm, I, there's a, maybe an intern. Maybe uh, damn, I'm gonna you know take on an intern. I 
you know, we paid Carl well. Oh, we paid Carl fine, and, and I wish I could have paid him more. But it was like we're gonna what we're gonna try to do is uh, we're gonna just I'm gonna hold off to the spring before I start paying for someone else. And um, Carl's gonna be hard to replace. Carl's gonna be super hard to replace. He he was awesome, and I'm just gonna hold tight through the spring and then see where we're at. Uh, but uh, he he he. I mean, if it wasn't for him, I would have had a real hard time with a lot of projects and. Uh, and then, uh, oh, I forgot, and, and I finally finished my first real integral knife, and oh, I'm yeah. really, really happy about it. And thanks to you and Nick Anger and Nick Rossi, I'm going to post a picture. Probably when this drops, I'm going to post a picture of it. And it was uh, I had donated uh, I donated um, a knife to the Culinary Institute of America for an auction, and it got bought. And we uh, the guy wanted an integral knife, and I had done a few, and I had some problems with a couple, but this one came out really awesome. And we used Hudson Valley maple and a piece. Actually, I used a, a Koa spacer from uh, Carl Carl's old knife. It was a little Koa spacer, and it really turned out awesome. I'm super super happy, and I used a lot of tips from Mareko, a lot of tips from Nick Anger, a lot of tips from Nick Rossi, and it was like I really really pumped about it. Nice. Really pumped. And now I know, and now I know why you do them so much because. They, when you have them in your hand, all that weight and that bolster, they just feel, they feel amazing. Oh, it centers, totally it centers that weight, yeah, right there in that transition area where you're holding on to the blade the most. And for, to me, I mean, people like blade heavy or handle heavy. I like it right in the middle, the, the balance and the weight. Yeah. And when it's focused in the middle like that, it, I feel like I just have so much more control and dexterity with it. Um. And I can actually, use, when I'm pinching between my index finger and my thumb, I can use my middle finger uh, to kind of help move the blade around. It creates like a pivot point, and I move, use my middle finger to, I don't know, it sounds weird. <laughs> I'll have to I, do a video. No, it's all right. It's all right. You know, the next complaint department can come to you about your middle finger. I will say that, I will say that Flicking finishing this off around. and kind of like, all right, all right. I, I will say that this, this integral knife, when I, I was calling my business partner about it, I said, now I know why these guys love these things, and it's a different ball game. It feels and it just seems so much more substantial than all the other knives that I do. And I'm just like, this is all I want to do now. And it was very much along the lines of, I, it's, they're awesome, and they were fun. To, it was tricky figuring out different ways to go about it. And I, obviously, I didn't have every single step down from everybody, so I had to make some you know, tactical decisions. And... I'm really happy with it. I, we, we, at some point, we're going to have to talk about bedded tangs because that was key. Yeah. Bedded tangs was critical to making this thing happen. Um, I mean, beyond critical. Maybe someday we'll have to talk about it, how to bed a tang. Sounds good. We'll see. Now the complaints are coming back to you. Uh, yes, they are. Yes, they are. <laughs> yes, they are. So let's talk about one of our new sponsors. Um, so even he who's been on board with us for a long time great sponsor they make the well the best heat treat ovens um, but we really wanted to get another sponsor who um, did grinders because they're the tools that we all need we all need decent heat treat right. and we all need a, a grinder um, we, we talked about a bunch of different people who make grinders but by far the most affordable when it, you know when you get that sort of scale of quality and cost the sweet spot there was with was with AM Concepts. So AMK Concepts on Instagram. They make beautiful and very well priced grinders. Um, Mareko's got his on his way. Yep. Um, but just as an example of the kind of pricing you can be thinking of, their AMK seventy seven, which is their top of the line grinder, 
is is thirteen ninety nine, so one thousand three hundred ninety nine dollars. They're shipping all over America and I think into Canada too. Um, but go take a look. They're amktactical.com, and we've got a gift. So if you use the, the promo code AMK10, that'll give you 10% off. Not just a grinder, um, but they do great contact wheels. They do a bunch of other tools as well. You'll get 10% off anything that they do. So that's AMK10, and you can use that at amktactical.com. Yeah. I, I, I got to yeah. say something, and I'm sure these guys probably don't think I, I need to say this, but I, as full uh, disclosure, I totally screwed up last week when we were talking about AMK, and I thought the 1399 machine uh, was the variable speed, uh, but that's their single speed. Uh, the variable is 1899, but still with the 10% discount code, that's going to save you a little bit of that dosh. So you can keep that in your pocket mm, yeah. and keep doing some good work. But there's definitely uh, a different price for the variable speed. But it's still a good price. It's less than $2,000 for a variable speed grinder. And that's it's hard to bulk at, I got to say. Yeah. yeah. And the and quick that, is – go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. That comes with the – obviously the platen, um, at a 12-inch platen. Sorry. A, a straight platen. But also with a 12-inch wheel too. Yeah. So you're not having to buy extra stuff to, you know, to fit in and out. Right. And all their contact wheels are pretty standard. So as I was saying last week, uh, my buddy Cliff Dufton needed a special contact wheel. He contacted AMK Concepts. He really he said the prices were really really good. So that would be a really good option if you're if you know you're trying to step it down for your contact wheels too. I know you mentioned that already. Cool. So we got that sorted. We got you. We can recommend great ovens. We can recommend great grinders. And we're hoping within the next few weeks we've yeah. got a great steel supplier coming on board as well. Oh, so we've got we've got yes. everything you need, everything you need, and hopefully you can get some discounts too. We're nice. gonna get a good one. That's gonna work. man. I am. I will say that I am always impressed with the uh, with our sponsors and the people who support us, and and it's awesome. And you know, it's we get we get the best. It's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But well, we wouldn't promote them if we didn't think they were great. I think that's we've actually had some conversations in regards to some people in the past that we've just all agreed that weren't we it's not something we wanted to be dealing with where we don't just take everything you know we, we, right. we really think about it as a team and you know we're we stand behind the people because we you know we the people who listen to us they you know they're trusting us so we we take that very seriously she okay I'll never do that again. In other words, shit. Um, (laughs) Things that we do in the shop that they're mistakes and we hope to never do again. And we've had another bunch this week. Um, So let's have a look. We've got our first one from Vachon Knives, V-A-C-H-O-N Knives. Uh, Here's a mistake story. I've been slowly learning how to forge, and the first two knives I made ended up with cracks that nearly split them in half. So after doing lots of research on forge temperatures, hammer techniques, etc., he realized that you're not supposed to let your hot work cool on the concrete floor. The O1 tool steel really doesn't like that, apparently. Oh, my God. Uh, I, I haven't said – I can't say that I, I've done that myself, but I've had some issues with blades cracking. I can from, see how it can happen. You just set something down and – yeah. Yeah. I hate getting cracked. I, I tell you what, I, some of my integral knives get cracks, and it drives me crazy. And I don't know how. I don't. It's these little things that you just don't even think about. You know, it's that whole idea of like people ask how fast should you get your knife into the temper before you after you heat treat, and you gotta like have a system that works and then stick with it. I hate that. Yeah. 
That's something we, we need to talk about in one episode as well, because I've been hearing different things about that, whereas some people will heat treat, then wait till the next day um, to do the, do the temper in, and some people like to keep it warm, and some people build a special unit to keep it warm, and all these different things. So it'd be good to, you know, to understand the difference in doing each way um, and you know, what benefits you would have by keeping it warm or putting it straight through to temper. Shit. Right, we got another one from Jay Lee's Knives. It says, uh, first time drilling holes in a handle on my drill press. Uh, didn't clamp it. Whirly blade of death and a bit of love shed for my hand. And uh, I got to say, I've definitely, I've, actually, I rarely clamp a blade. <laughs> don't let, don't follow my example, yeah. though. But I rarely gl- gra- uh, clamp a blade when I drill. Uh, but I also adjust the speeds and, and I make sure I have sharp bits. And I've I've only had one blade pulled out of my hand. Um, but I was wearing gloves. And so I fortunately did not get all sliced up. But it can be a very dangerous, very dangerous situation. Uh, if you're not working with a, a, the right speed and not working with sharp drill bits and you don't have it clamped in, you're not wearing gloves, you're, you're looking at potentially hurting yourself pretty bad i do it all the time i do it all the time and 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 what one of the a couple things i had to when i started getting interns i had to figure out safer ways to do it because i didn't want that to happen to them and it's usually it's usually because when you're drilling through the steel um it says you know on an eighth inch drill bit of three sixteenths drill bit it doesn't happen and even in a quarter inch drill bit it kind of doesn't happen but like it's you're getting to the end and you're work hardening the steel with the drill bit. The drill bit's creating the friction. And when it gets to that end, it just catches on the outside all the time. And it just pulls out of your hand and turns into a helicopter. Yep. I actually, we talked about this on an episode. And then um, Bob Rankin posted this little uh, vice grip that goes to your table of your drill press. And I actually got one of those. And, it, and I drilled it into a piece of wood so I can hold, the, I can hold my hand out far away. Um, so you're having a little bit more leverage. So if the, if the bit binds, it doesn't pull out of your hand. Usually it's pulling out of your hand when it's a smaller knife that's, that's like you're closer, like a small, like a paring knife. Sure. You don't have as much leverage. You're not holding – you're holding it closer to the mm. – hold, hold, the closer you hold it to the bit, the less uh, power you have. Yeah. So if you have it holding it out farther – it's less likely for that to happen. However, it isn't good anyway. Yeah, yeah. I, I mentioned this last last week or the week before. I'd, I'd sliced my hand, sort of drain through a sheet of brass. Mm. And wow, yeah. Your instinct is to just put your hand up to stop it. But, you know, man against machine. You're never going to work. Right. Oh, my oh, God. And I'll do it again tomorrow. And I'll do it again tomorrow. Yeah. I'll be like, oh, just, it'll, I'll take five seconds. I'm not going to clamp down every, you know, I'm not, you, to think about if you were to clamp down every single hole you're going to do, you're just like, I just need to boom, boom, boom. And, and it's, 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 it's look, we're so, I'm so stupid. What can I say? I'm going to oh, do it again tomorrow. Call. Oh, Jesus. H. Oh, no. Hello. All right. Hello. Yes. Um, I'd like to make a complaint, please. Oh, another complaint. This is getting out of hand. Jeffrey, you're in trouble. Ugh, now what? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> now what? Now what? Oh, should I reach to read my own complaint? Is that what you it read, is? Okay. You stand in the corner like, a, right. like a bad boy and you read your own complaint. Oh, that's great. That's great. <laughs> All right. So <clears throat> here's a complaint, obviously, towards me because that's how it's going to be. A fader, or not even spelled correctly, I might add. 
Fader isn't entertaining. He's loud and annoying. Fader is spelled incorrectly, F-E-D-D-E-R, which tells me right off the bat that his heart isn't into it. If his heart was into it, <laughs> if he really meant, if it was a real true complaint, he would have spelled my name right. If it was a real, like, he's had it. And he's loud, <laughs> which is true. That's true. I'm not, this, so far it's not wrong. And he's annoying. That's true, too. I don't know what else to say. I don't know what else is to say. This, is this person still following you? Did they did they block you? Did they just move on, or are they still I, following? Yeah, look, I, who am I to say? Who am I to say? <laughs> uh, do, do you think I? You think that I would worry about a complaint from someone who still follows me because obviously I'm so annoying that it's fine. Good. <laughs> look, you know what? He's not wrong. This actually is a very uh, it's a telling complaint. He's not wrong, except for the spelling of my name. Which makes me think that his heart's not into it, which is fine, and uh, he's loud. He's annoying. It's true. Both of them are true. Now, now what? Now, what am I supposed to do? So we'll, <laughs> we'll what am I supposed one, to do? I'll file that one away with, with the other complaints. That I'm we've getting had, a good yeah. hey, look. You know, I'll tell you. I, you know, I, I don't. We're, I'm not. You know, it's not. It's not the worst thing I ever heard. And you know, listen. These the two complaints we've gotten. I'm sure there are going to be more. Here's the best part about them. None of them are saying he's full of shit. That's I would be like if I if if someone said I heard what he said about this that's bullshit. Now that would make it hurt. But these these are this is this is this is emotional. These are emotional complaints. These are not these aren't based on facts. These are opinions and these are based on emotion, which I understand. I listen both both guys who have complained. I am with you, and if I see you at Blade Show, I'll buy you a beer. I don't know what else to say. I'm not mad at none of them said anything. That was factually inaccurate. They're all correct. <laughs> but here's the thing. Here's it. Myself, Morocco, and Jeff, we're, we've talked about this because once we had our, our first complaint, we were thinking, oh, man, is this going to be a thing? Is this going to be bad? It, it is. It's going to be a thing. This is going to be the thing. <laughs> Everyone's going to start bitching about me. It's going to be another complaint. It's going to go from complaint corner to, I, you know, faders, blah, 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 and it'll be a bit. It's fine. I, it's because you keep them offering crazy. them free beers at Blade Show. They're going to keep complaining. I just did it one time. I just did it one time. I didn't say everybody who gives me a complaint, I'm going to give them a beer. You can do that. You can just forget it. That, there, now you have some complaints. After the fader said he'd give me a beer, I'm, I'm not giving you anything. I'm saying to the two guys, I'm trying to like bring some peace and love. I'm trying to bring some brotherhood here. But, See, I'm being loud and annoying. I'm, I'm, I'm being loud, and then I'm, not t- I'm taking the beer back. Loud and annoying. That's what I do. So the conclusion we came to is – if we try to please every single listener, we'd have the most boring show ever. So, yeah, we may ruffle a few feathers. We may well, – hopefully we won't upset anybody. Did you say but, we yeah. or he? You say um, he'll ruffle a few feathers, you son of a bitch, you, yeah, you I, old I mean bastard. You. I mean you. Let's face <laughs> it. Let's face you it. Old <laughs> bastard. Yeah, you birthday boy. Old man. Fine. Go ahead. showcase. <laughs> Okay, so we've got a community showcase this week. Um, it's a bit a bit different to usual. Um, so some of you may know, some of the listeners may know of Lee Bennett from LB Custom Knives. Um, unfortunately, Lee passed away this week. He actually had an, uh, an accident in his shop. Mm. And I know a lot of people love Lee's work. Lee put out some great YouTube videos. Um, and he was very active, particularly in the sort of UK knife-making scene. Um, I've spoken to him a few times, and he's just just a lovely, lovely guy. But unfortunately, he had an, as I say, an accident last week. Um, he was in intensive care for a few days, and he and he passed away over the weekend. Um, so I just want to highlight Lee's work, really. So 
It's LB Custom Knives on Instagram. Um, it's a particularly sad case because he was the he's left behind three young young children um, and a wife. He was the sole earner in the in the family as well. So, he, yeah, it's going to be tough times ahead for them. Um, so just go and t- take a look at his work, and you know, there's a lot you can learn from Lee as well. Like I said he's, he did some great YouTube videos. Um, there is, I know a friend of his who was, who was also a maker, set up a PayPal account to, um, to help the family out. So if anybody has, um, would like to give, um, with regards to funeral expenses, that kind of thing, I'll put that PayPal link in the show notes. Um, but I think it's just another, another sort of warning for us all that what we do is, is very, very dangerous. Yeah. Um, and we just <clears throat> need to make sure that we're being safe and we're, and we're there for each other, that we're, that we're safe. We can pass on good practices, uh, and hopefully this will never happen again. And I think that we'd be remiss to not mention that another uh, knife maker in the community had passed on uh, this week, uh, Big Kitty FTW. I didn't know him. I know I heard about it through Tucker Paris um, mm-hmm. and a few other knife makers. I know that he was very big in the knife making community. I didn't know him. I didn't know really much about him except for the fact that he was very well loved and appreciated by his friends and his family. I know that he was an American um, – uh, veteran. He was a veteran of the armed forces and he uh, passed away as well. Uh, and, you know, obviously these are very, you know, jo- all jokes aside, these are very, very sad situations. And, um, you know, we've sent our, we've sent our best to all involved. Maybe we can do something. I don't know. I'm not hundred percent sure, but, but once again, you know, it's very, very, very sad. Yeah. 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 So stay safe out there. Stay safe, everybody. Jeff, who have you got as your community showcase? Who would you like to, uh, Big up this week. Well, this is someone I, I swapped out a little bit. I was going to do somebody else, and I'm going to have to turn turn around to. to we get. I know that Mareko and, and Craig and I get a lot of people saying, "Could you do a video, or could you do? Could you explain your techniques?" I know we've been talking about disc sanders a lot and all these different things, and we get asked to do things. And, and my personal opinion about me doing videos is I'm not planning on doing any tip videos because I feel like. I feel like there are so many great people doing things on YouTube that I don't want to muddy the waters. And one of those people that I think that is to help me the most and answers all the questions of what's your technique is Nick Wheeler. Yeah. Um, There's Nick. the Nick Wheeler alarm. We haven't heard that in a while. Yeah, certainly I haven't. So it's Nick underscore Wheeler underscore knives. Nick Wheeler's been doing YouTube videos for I looked at this morning and it was like as for the past six years. He's got tech. All the good tips and techniques you see are usually from him. Like little things like putting the tape on the back of your, of your sandpaper to make it not so uh, delicate and, and uh, you know, tr- tips and tricks. Actually, the reason why I ended up pulling the trigger and buying a disc grinder was – because I watched his uh, video on how he used the disc grinder, and that was that's kind of sealed the deal. So Nick, you made me spend you know eighteen hundred dollars on a disc grinder. So <laughs> thank you very much. But um, you know he obviously doesn't need our support. He's uh he's on the you know we're talking. I mean Nick Wheeler is you know he is on the uh, he's on the Mount Rushmore, my Mount Rushmore for sure. And he High makes some incredible stuff. oh beyond. I mean. The, the level of intricacy is amazing, but his generosity with his videos, and I might say, if you watch his uh, YouTube, uh, if you watch his Instagram videos, he doesn't do them as much anymore. He always has excellent music. It's always oh old yeah, R and B. Love his music. <laughs> his musical choices are always good. I think that he and I might be in the same age group, so 
He likes old school. He likes RB. He has got the Chardé going on all the time. It's always like it's always good. And uh, Nick, we if you're not following, watch. So don't ask us anymore about the videos. If you're going to go watch videos, go to see Nick Wheeler's videos on YouTube. You're going to go down a huge rabbit hole. He shows you how to do everything, and he's he's the man. And hopefully, we're going to get him on. I'm hoping I'm hoping we're greasing the wheels to get him on the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you know what, my my wife's brother, um, he he's just a, he's a plumber here in the UK, and because I'm in the UK, we've been chatting this week. Um, and he mentioned um, Joe Rogan. He's like, oh, to listen to the Joe Rogan podcast. He said there's a knife maker on it the other week. I was like, oh, that's Morocco, who's, <laughs> yeah. who's also on the podcast that I do. And he's like, you do a podcast? I said, like, yeah, knife making. He's like, oh, oh. <laughs> I saw him two days later. I don't think he'd slept. I think he'd listened to every podcast that we'd done. He started going and watching YouTube videos, and he's watching all the Walter Soros videos. And he mentioned Nick Wheeler. He's, he's watching Nick Wheeler's videos. It's like, God, it, it, <laughs> this guy, he'd never thought about knife making a week ago, and he hasn't slept in a week. <laughs> you talk about the rabbit hole. Jeez, he's down yeah. the rabbit hole. Yeah, Nick Wheeler videos are rabbit hole city. Rabbit mm. hole city. He's got that deep voice, too, when he talks about it, that deep voice. Well, and he's got those sweet Newfoundlander dogs. They're super, super sweet dogs. But I think, I think honestly, Nick Wheeler's going to... He's gonna. Ha- he's already establishing a legacy and a style. He's gonna go down like uh, like Loveless. Like there's gonna be people making his knives for years to come. His style of knife, his approach, because he's done such a good job of showing his techniques that there are literally, I I would say probably hundreds of makers out there that make a Nick Wheeler style Bowie knife. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All my sanding paddles are are based off of his the based off of his sanding paddles. All my hand sanding tricks are, are the the uh, the roots come from what he's done in the past. I think that I think that you know I would hate to you know tell you how I do it when you go to the source. Don't go to you know. I that's one of the things about some of these videos. It becomes to the point where it's over and over again, and the the water's getting muddied. So my opinion is is for me is I'd rather just send people to the source. Sure. You know, so I agree. You know, don't, we don't need like you know. It's like the game of telephone. He says something, and then another guy says something, and then you know, down the line, you lose a little bit of the purity. So I'm a huge, huge, huge Nick Wheeler fan, and and um, got to get him on the podcast. Yeah. He's a man. That would be good. I, I'm, I'm working good. on greasing him up a little bit. All right, <laughs> All right. that's the next complaint of Nick Wheeler. Go ahead. Who you got, Morocco? Uh, this week, I have an Aussie maker. His name is Chad. I'm sorry, Chad. I don't know your last name. <laughs> but he's a badass maker. He, uh, he's on Instagram as Tristone Blades. It's T-R-I-S-T-O-N-E oh, yes. Blades. Yeah. His yeah. work is so clean. It is and so precise. And it's... And he took a little bit of a break in the last year, but he's getting back into it slowly. And he's a full-time, I believe he's a SWAT officer in Australia. Um, And uh, so he works for the police department there. And so he's a full-time police officer who does this on the side. And as somebody who's doing this as a side hustle, he's kicking ass he if you want to see some work to really idealize and and model yourself after uh tristone is a really great place uh to go up go to his instagram check it all out uh he does some really awesome inlays and spacer work his handle work yeah. his finish like everything everything it, i look at his stuff and i'm i'm just like 
my jaws on the floor looking at it. It's so clean and so beautiful. And uh, if I ever make my way to uh, to Australia, I'm definitely going to be spending some time with him, hanging out and talking knives. But yeah, try Stone Blade. Greasing him up. Greasing him up. Uh, oh, <laughs> God, greasing everybody up. We did a lot of grease. This is a greasy, this is a greasy episode right We're here. We're going to do an oil quench mud wrestling kind of party. <laughs> oh, my God. I hope the next complaint goes to you. Seriously. Seriously, I can't take it anymore. <laughs> These Australians, shout out to Australia, they make these knives. And I don't know if it's because they're so close to Japan. I don't know what it is, but there's a style with the culinary guys from Australia that's very, I mean, they're extraordinary. I mean, some of the best knife makers in the world. I mean, Australia is hard to beat. Shout out to Chad in Australia. Shout out to Australia. You guys are bad motherfuckers. Awesome. Totally awesome. Hey, man, can I ask you a question? <laughs> so, hey, man, can I ask you a question is the, is the segment where we ask our listeners to ask us questions and we do our best to try to answer them. And uh, it's usually, you know, we, we go out, we'll see what we can get to. But the first, hey, man, can I ask you a question comes from Winklebilt Custom Knives. This is a late entry, but I liked it very much. All right, this comes from Winklebilt Custom Knives. Hey, man, can I ask you a question? How much variance do you allow yourself from knife to knife? If you're making more than one of a design, do you make different iterations of a given design before you refine your final dimensions? I'm finding that making skinnier and thicker versions of a knife really helped me to refine the given design. Another topic I would love to hear about is what the line looks like to you guys between custom and semi-production. Thanks again, Eggplant emoji. <laughs> but what that's about. Um, yeah, that's a good up, question. Trying to geese us up. Yeah. Um, with regards to sort of variance, um, all of my knives are now the same thickness. So they're all 2.3 mil. Um, so whether it's a stainless or whether it's a carbon knife, that I, two point, I don't know what that is for you Americans. I'm telling you. I'm about to tell you. <laughs> Go. That's 7 sixteenths. Seven sixteenths. Okay, <laughs> so yeah, they're all. all no, no, no. That's not seven sixteenths. It's three thirty seconds. That's three thirty seconds. Seven sixteenths is like a. It's like a fucking so pry bar. It's almost. It's half like a pry bar. <laughs> hey, shout out to shout out to uh, makeeverything.com. He sent me a sticker with a with the I put on my phone with all the the the. the tra- ah, the conversion. That's where so, you're getting it. Yeah, I'm, so I'm two point three my phone, yeah. millimeters. Um, three thirty seconds. Three thirty seconds for all of my knives at the moment. Um, and I find that that gives me a nice sort of thinnish spine. And let's say I'm doing a chef knife where it's maybe a 50 millimeter sort of depth. That gives me a nice sort of really thin edge then. Um, but with regards to what makes a production knife and what makes a completely custom knife, um, it, you know, you could say, well, if you're not, if you're not forging by hand, is it then a custom knife? If you're not, you know, smelting uh, your own your own stuff. Uh, is this that is this custom? is not the. I, I, this isn't the way we need to go down this one. I, I, <laughs> I was on the, when I read it. I thought more along the lines of like when I did my thirty six Cuban knives. Were there tiny differences? Be, yes, there are tiny differences because it's 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 made by hand. I mean, I really clutch. I mean, I was clutched to make sure that every stage everything was the same. But sometimes my knives are – I mean, if you put a, a micrometer on my knives every single time, there's going to be little tiny changes, mm. you know? Yeah, yeah. And I don't get things water jet cut out. Uh, I do sometimes the oyster knives, but there's still minor details that 
make the difference between it being a custom knife and a production knife. I mean, these are made by hand. That's why I, right. one of the reasons why we've talked about this before will be hand sand because you want that human touch. So if they're off by a, just a, a just a you know whatever you and your millimeters, that's what's <laughs> the way it is. You know, that's the way it is. Hey, man, can I ask you a question? <laughs> this is from Carl Walters Tools. He says, what stainless steel should a knife maker, uh, parenthesis, that makes custom, uh, carbon steel kitchen knives, end parenthesis, try out starting making stainless knives? In other words, besides your carbon steel knives, what are your favorite stainless steel grades you love to work with and why? I'm going to let you guys take it because I have very, very, very little experience with stainless. Uh, yeah, take it away. Hmm. Go ahead, old um, man. You... Sorry, you go first. <laughs> youth before – I see. I see what you're saying. Youth age before beauty, right? All right. I don't know where you got that one. <laughs> I, I love – I started uh, doing uh, 440C stainless steel. I like 440C stainless steel. I get very uh, repeatable uh, – I don't have any weird problems with 440C. I know a lot of people use AEBL and Nitro-V. I've had a little bit of problems personally with it. But, I mean, that's just because I don't like to spend weeks and weeks and weeks, you know, changing, changing, changing. I've always had very good experience with 440C. I've also had good experience with um, uh, 154CM. I have had good experience with that. Um, I like 440C. One of the reasons why is because I like the mill scale. The mill scale transition, it's a strange reason to like it, but it's an added bonus. The mill scale transition between the the um, the flat of the knife and the bevel is really nice for the bolster of my knives. Um, I heat, treat, heat treats great, and um, I'm a huge fan of it, and it's readily available. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think in Europe we we sort of label our steel slightly different. Um, they've all got different sort of uh, names. Um, but I'm really into the Sandvik stainlesses. Um, so I'm using the 14C28N for most of my stuff. Um, it comes really clean. Um, and uh, you know, regards to working the steel, I, I can't see it being any different to any other stainless. I don't know. I, it's, it's the only one I use, uh, but I seem to get very good results. But if you're asking about coming from carbon steel knives and then you want to start doing stainless, um, I've used something called Niolox, which is a sort of an in between. So as we know, the difference between carbon and stainless is the amount of chrome and, and you know a couple of other little little differences. But um, a, a Niolox is, is very much in between the two. So it's not really stainless, but it's got sort of stainless properties. So it may be worth you trying a few knives with Niolox first mm-hmm. um, if you're a bit nervous about going straight through to a full stainless. Um, but yeah, with regards to you know differences in stainlesses, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I found one that works for me, and I've pretty much stuck with that. Yeah, yeah me too. I've been, playing, me too. I've been playing with the idea of doing some uh, kind of production-level knives. Um, and doing some in stainless, and I've been really looking at AEBL myself, and it's from some of that is from conversations with other makers, as well as reading online uh, from some reliable resources. And from what I understand, it, it heat treats. It can be a little tricky to heat treat, but when it comes to the machining and the performance, uh, it, it's a steel that's designed to uh, what was it? It was razor blade steel, Swedish razor blade steel, right. and so it's designed to take a super super keen edge so uh when it, it that when it comes to uh thermocycling and heat treating it, it, the grain gets super fine very small which also lends itself 
to being a little bit on a tougher side of things. And so I've heard a lot of people refer to it as essentially a stainless high carbon, um, you know, when it comes to car actual carbon content, um, it's just barely right there at 60% or 0.06 or 0.6% uh, carbon by weight. And so it's on the lower end of quote unquote high carbon steel. Um, but I, I hear nothing but good things i understand it, it can if it's heat treated properly it can perform as well or better than 50 to 100 which is considered uh, one of the kings of high carbon steel um and so i think it, if i do start playing with more stainless it's probably going to be with aebl at least to start and yeah. just just remember with aebl nitro v some of these stainless steels do kind of need cryo yeah exactly uh, 440C doesn't really need cryo. That's the one of the other reasons why I don't. I added. I did do cryo once for the AEBLs and the nitro V's that I was using, and it's something that you should, you know, look into and be aware of. That sometimes you need it, and sometimes you don't. Absolutely. based on how you're heat treating them. For sure. Yeah, I think Morocco made a good point there of about heat treating properly because I think whatever steel you use, um, the differences between a good heat treat and a bad heat treat are are huge. So when you're talking about, you know, slight differences in slight steels, the biggest difference is going to be the heat treat, not necessarily the steel that you're using, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Affirmative. <laughs> we got another one from Swift Knives UK. Hey, man, can I ask you a question? What do you use to fill in between the <clears throat> spine file work on your handles? Yes, is it clear epoxy with an added dye? And this is probably directed towards Jeff in the first yeah. instance, I think. Yeah. Well, you know, I like... I've always liked adding, and I know a lot of knife makers don't put uh, dye in or, or epoxy in to fill the void of where the file works are. And I, for me, for especially for culinary stuff, I just don't want gluck getting in there. It's just, it's just one of those things I want it to be a real uh, sealed up thing. There's no dirt hiding in there. So when I started doing it, I started to do regular epoxy, uh, two-part epoxy, and it just has this kind of like snotty, clammy kind of color. I'll leave it there at that. I'll leave it at that. So I did find that a number of uh, knife-making supply companies sells colored dyes. So I bought a pile of those, and I'm going to tell you what's good and what's not good. What's good is the ones that are not transparent. The transparent ones are weird. If you want to see, like, a transparent yellow... It's like I mean you might as I mean it's just like wearing see-through underpants. It's just the strangest. It's the strangest thing of all <laughs> oh time. I, I don't know. I, I tell you what. I under, don't understand. I'm just like, why would you wear? Why would you wear underpants if they're see-through? Anyway, so with the like the transparent dyes are just like see-through underpants. It's like what's the point of it? It's barely even yellow. It's so stupid. So I do like. Um, you can get black is always good. A sp a black the black dyes it comes in small uh, things, and when you're mixing your uh, your two part epoxy, you just give a couple little dots. And the best one of the, the added benefits is is if you put the epoxy in, and then you put the dye in, and when you're mixing the epoxy, you know if you've mixed it right because it should be an even color. You know it should be an even color of the dye. So mm. the red's always good. The blue's good. The darker colors are usually a little on the better side, but stay away from transparent underwear yellow. I'm telling you, man, it is terrible. I mean, it is I don't know. I don't <laughs> have no idea why anyone would want a transparent dye. It's like, you know, awful. So that's the answer. <laughs> so go get yourself some some uh, some solid dye, like black. Black's the I don't know, black's the best. Black's the best. Yeah, I do mind different to Jeff. So Jeff has his spine work. 
um, when in the handle area. Um, but I do a little bit of spine work just on the sort of blade area. Um, so what would be sort of jimping, I suppose, on, on like a hunting knife. I just do a bit sort of decorative stuff for chef knives and so on, just on the blade area. So I don't normally fill mine in uh, because there's there's no contact with the handle there. It's just all completely exposed on all sides. So just a little wipe would get rid of any any sort of shit that's that's stuck in them. Um, but the times that where I have needed to do it, and let's say I am doing it on the handle, I use iron oxide powder, black iron oxide powder, mm. iron oxide powder to um, to um, to colour the epoxy, huh. um, rather than, rather than use a liquid, and that seems to work well too. So yeah, is that like options, so? Would be I, I once thought about doing that with like um, like graphite, like just like grinding up some graphite, yeah. But, the one thing about the die is, is the dies are really nice because you can, especially like my my handles are like if I'm using like G, colorful G10, I can kind of get close. Like if I'm doing a red handle, it's nice to throw a little bit of red, yeah, know, yeah, in there. So, yeah. well, well, I started using the iron oxide when I do mosaic pins because the, obviously I color the epoxy then, and that's generally black. Um, but it does thicken up the epoxy a bit. So the epoxy I use is very sort of liquidy when it comes to sort of pulling up for mosaic pins so using that iron oxide will thicken that up so you've got a you know it's, it's not so liquidy when you're pulling up through the tubes with mosaic pins that makes me wonder hey Mareko, your first job for bob kramer was pulling up the epoxy through those pins what did you use for the what epoxy was you or bob kramer using uh, it was just a clear casting resin like the same kind of stuff that people would use for making like casted jewelry or something hmm. um the pro- it's oh man, I can't even think of what the stuff is on. Wasn't it? It wasn't a two part epoxy. Uh, it was. A, it, it was not a two part epoxy. It was just a clear. Uh, it was like two drops to an ounce or something like that, or three or I don't know. It's one of those. It's just one of those craft resins um, that oh, you can yeah. get. Bingo bango bongo. Bingo bango bongo. There we go. I actually All had right, a question about the uh, the coloring the epoxies. I, I've seen people use uh, like when they're trying to fill voids, in, especially in wooden handles, uh, they'll grind up a little, uh, create some sawdust and collect that, and then mix that in with maybe either some epoxy or super glue. Do you guys ever try that with, or Jeff, have you ever tried that with uh, the G10 I, scales? I not with the G10 scales. Because it, it would make it a little bit different. I do, you know, I learned that from Nick Wheeler. Yeah. Nick Wheeler was doing that where you grind up a little bit of the material that you're using, and then you use a little uh, super glue, and then you put the super glue in, and then you and then you rub in the uh, the the you creating that putty, yeah. which which is an awesome filler. But with G10, no, uh, and because that you would you'd kind of know G10 is very. It isn't isn't forgiving in in that regard. So I think that when you have marks and one thing, yeah, G10 isn't that forgiving in terms of filler. I've never really you don't get blowouts with you don't get blowouts with G10. Sure. Usually when you're drilling holes, you, there's not really. Um, I've never had a situation where like you know the with a drill bit if your drill bit blows out to the end if you're going too fast. I never had that with um, with G10. Yeah, sorry, I, I just meant for like filling in on the spine, but I imagine it's probably like trying to take butter and melt it down and then reconstitute it back into butter. It's not the same thing. Uh, it's a good idea. I think that, I think that the color, I think the color changes a little bit sure. when you grind down G10. Like I think that I, I'm going to have to look at You know what? That's a really good idea because if you could match it a hundred percent, then all of a sudden you're, you got something a little bit, actually, that's a great idea. I, I don't know. I don't know. I have to, I will have to look into that. That's a great idea to use, to, to grind up powder G10 and use that to color your, 
your epoxy. That's a that's a great idea. But or it's a really bad. Here's idea. the problem. <laughs> well, no, it's not. It's a great. I never even thought about it. It's a great idea. Here's the problem. When you're filling your file work, you're not just you have you you're using that color to also hand you do your whole right. scales exactly. So yeah. like when you're gluing all the glue up, you don't want. I don't think you'd want any grit in there. No. Because you want to make that mm. seal real tight. I agree. Yeah. So that I've tried that in the past where I, I wanted to just make the um, because if you don't do the if you don't if you don't epoxy right, some of that epoxy is gonna go through your holes and your pins, and you could have like uh, the color of the epoxy on the outsides of your bolts or your pins. Mm, yeah. So I have thought about that. I, I would be you'd have to make sure that it's very, very thin, and I want to make sure that for me the epoxy is more about sealing it rather than oh, it holds it. I, it holds it, but it really, I want I want that seal to be good. But that is an awesome idea. I have to think about that. Because <laughs> then I, all of a sudden you don't, you don't have to you got some different colors. Hey man, can I ask you a question? <laughs> okay, so we got a question from oh geez, at so it's at obviously used for the Instagram, but his actual name is at KnifeWorks, so he's at at KnifeWorks. The short question is, how do you pre-shape your handles and scales on a full tang before glue up? He uses Corby bolts, but he'd rather do most of his shaping before the glue up. But he hasn't quite figured out a good way. Um, I'm interested in any the answers from you guys as well, because this is something that I think I need to change up a little. So, so how are you shaping your handles? And at, and at what time is this? You know, pre glue up, after glue up, and so on. Mr. Mareko, you want to start on? Yeah, this? sure. So, uh, I sh- I shape my handles after glue up. Um, but it also kind of depends on everything else that's going on. But I, I, because I'm doing the integral bolsters, I have to sculpt the bolster at the same time as the handle. Um, but for the most mm. part, especially when I'm doing my, my kind of standard through tang construction where they're bolted on, um, to the tang from the, the pommel of the handle, um, I'm, I'm sculpting one, it's glued up and everything's locked into place and I'm sculpting it all together. He wants to do most of the sculpting before glue up, and mm. it's a problem with the Corby bolts. And I have, a, I have a good one. I got a good one for him. Oh, I'm gonna hook him his up. issue is with the Corby bolts. No, well, because what well, you can't, you can't pre, bolts. but you can't if you use the Corby bolts, you can't really do a lot of grinding on the faces of the scales because the cor- you don't want to cut the Corby bolts off. Then you got your mm. goddamn handle stuck on the ha- knife. Does I've, that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well. I mean, so how does you, how would he do it? Is what he wants how to would he do it? Okay, so I I have a for me spe- uh, personally, I have a special pair of Corby bolts that I've actually trimmed down so they have very shallow yes. heads, and so I can bolt it on essentially without gluing it into place, and then I can take it back apart. I've also heard of people using uh, like super glue to temporarily glue handle scales into place. I've used a combination of the Corby bolt with the super glue to kind of glue tack it in place. Uh, so I can, like when I was on Fortune Fire the second time, I did a full integral uh, handle and guard, but I had to, I had to sculpt uh, the handle and, and the tang and everything and the blade all at the same time, and then I had to remove the scales. So I did those temporary uh, bolts with a little bit of glue to help hold down other areas that just weren't laying flat the way I would like them. And then uh, I sculpted it all up, and then I, I just put a little... Uh, you can either put it in the oven at very low temperature, like maybe 150 degrees just for like 10 minutes, or if you did it right, you should be able to just kind of give it a little tap, and the glue should break free and unbolt it. Uh, if you don't use the glue, then all you have to do is unbolt it and take it back apart 
Uh, but the reason I did that is because I was doing a Damascus. It was all Damascus. So I wanted to etch the whole tang and everything so that that Damascus pattern was revealed around the boundary of the handle. Um, and then mm. once I did that, then I just glued it all back together and that was it. It was done. And then, then you got to clean up those bolts. Uh, but they're in the middle of the handle. They're not near anywhere that's going to get marred, especially the Damascus. So that's not really that big of a deal. You just clean it up and take it down nice and finish her out. So great. I just like to add, I want to add because he, that is exactly what I was going to say. All right. So I was just did a full tang inch of uh, Damascus knife and I wanted to get as much done because I wanted to coffee etch the knife without having, without the scales. Sure. What I did was if you look at a Corby bolt, both sides are proud. The, um, the, where the, where the, where the flathead screwdriver bit is very high. So when you attach the Corby's, you have like a quarter of an inch, five sixteenths sticking out, which you grind off, right? But if you cut the heads off a pair of Corby bolts, especially the brass ones because they're super soft, yeah. or you grind them down and then you, with a saw yep. or file, you file in the uh, flathead, you can make uh, sacrificial Corby bolts that only need to be – because you're not talking about tight. You're just trying to get your – get it close so you only need like three sixteenths from the shoulder of of corby so then what you can do is you can drill your holes set your holes with your corbys put the short cold corbys in and then grind away and as long as you don't grind away all the way to those um flatheads you have you have you can get it super super close i know exactly that's exactly what i did and it was huge of course the brass then lasts forever so you, you know you screw them all up but it allows you to get to your thickness and you can get super, super close yeah. without um, – and then once you glue up, all you're dealing with is with the flats of the scales where the Corby, the new Corby bolts are going to be. That's mm. awesome. That's a good one. Mareko Momasi, take a bow. <laughs> no, no, no. Mareko, right. <laughs> so when you're doing this on a, um, a full integral yes. um, with, without the exposed tang, I know you put the handle on first, don't you? Yeah. When it comes to then etching, how do you prevent your, your wood from soaking up any of the the etching or the coffee or whatever you're using? So good. Yeah, right. So good. No, that's a good question. Such a good question. Yeah. For um for almost all of my knives, I use uh I use some sort of decorative spacer. So it's usually uh some sort of metal, whether it be copper, brass, bronze, um, most often bronze, or it could be stainless steel as well, but it's sandwiched between two thin pieces of black G10, but it can also be whatever color. Um, but that G10 creates a buffer zone that I can then paint on the handle. I can I use uh, nail polish. I use a, a clear nail polish, like a hard, uh, sorry, nail polish. Uh, Jesus, my words are terrible. Nail hardener. <laughs> yeah, nail hardener. So you can either use yeah. like the clear coat or the nail hardener. You can get it at the dollar store. It's, you can find it pretty cheap. Um, and you paint that on the handle. I usually go about like halfway just to be safe. Halfway up the handle and then paint all the way up to that G10 spacer. Um, but you don't want to obviously get it, especially if it's Damascus. You don't want to get it on, uh, the on the bolster or the blade. Mm. So you can either... If you have steady hands, just go slow. Or if not, you can mask it off uh, with some painter's tape or, or electrical tape or whatever you have yeah, handy. Yeah. And uh, and then let that set up. I usually give it a, a, a solid uh, twenty minutes or so to let that set up. And then and then uh, and then it's it 
makes the wood impervious uh, because it's essentially it's protecting the wood. Um, so I mm. etch my blades in ferrochloric acid, and I also do my coffee soak all with the handle on. But if I don't have that spacer, that's when I use the bedded tang technique, and um, and so I can take the handle off but put it back on with it keyed perfectly in place. Uh, and that's a technique that I learned from watching Nick Wheeler. This is a Nick Wheeler episode. That's it. That's uh, it. From, watching, Wheeler. from watching Nick Wheeler's YouTube. Uh, and I, there are a lot of different ways to approach it. But Nick's uh, technique for using a wax uh, has been the best I've found. It gets the tightest fit up so that when you go to put the, the handle back onto the, the tang uh, of your knife, it fits absolutely perfect. There's no wiggle room at all. Let's let's save bed tag for the next episode because we got a lot to cover. Yeah, there's a lot. But yeah, I will say sure. that when you a long time ago, the first time you and I ever interacted, you were doing bed tang, and I just a few years ago, and I just watched Nick Wheeler, and I'm like, oh yeah, he's doing the bed tang. You're like, all right, fetter fetter knives, all right. Where are you coming from? And that's that's how we met. We we're talking about bed tangs. Yeah. But also, uh, shout out to celebrity listener Salem Straub. He just did a. Uh, integral a full tang integral knife where mm. he was actually using uh nail hardener as a resist yeah. on his uh scales before he d- he, he just did one and he showed him people were like what are you doing dude <laughs> and it was very he used that he on his on his uh when he was putting the coffee etch on he used the uh the nail polisher as a resist yeah nail hardener as a resist so he could coffee etch the knife with the scales on right so i so to make sure i'm being completely transparent, that was the technique that I, especially using the nail hardener, I got from uh, the DeRosiers, Adam and Haley DeRosiers, who are both on Instagram. They're phenomenal makers. You should check them out, follow them if you don't know who they are. But I think they actually, it goes even farther. I think they got it actually from a, a maker named uh, Rodrigo Sofredo, who is kind of the creator of the keyhole uh, integral knife. And so he uses the nail polish as a resist when he's, especially because he does the uh, Damascus usually for the keyhole um, uh, portion of the the metal portion, and um, and so he's got to use some sort of mask to protect the wood, especially if he's using something that is other than you know like a African black wood or an ebony, which is black and you can stain it all day and it's not an issue, but he does a lot with uh, very beautiful burl woods and stuff like that. And so you got to mask that off and that nail polish, uh, is, is what's going to do that for you. And it's it. Shout out to yeah. masking out your keyhole. All right, baby. <laughs> yeah, baby. Shout out to that keyhole. Get a keyhole masked <laughs> out, baby. Give it lots of nail polish. Put some nail polish on your keyhole. So we, we got another question. Uh, this one's from at Quesenberry Knives, who, if you don't know, you should go check him out. He is, he is on. If you don't know, you better ask somebody. He's on my Mount Rushmore, Mr. Michael Quisenberry. He's a phenomenal guy and an incredible maker. And he has a question saying, I'm new to the kitchen knife thing and enjoy it so far. Since this is y'all's area of expertise, what length of chef's knife is the most popular? Thank you. And, uh, I would say probably an eight to nine inch. Or to be a little safe, yeah, probably like an eight or nine, eight to nine inch chef's knife yeah. um, is pretty popular, in my opinion. Eight yeah. inches, yeah. baby. <clears throat> I've said it before. Get that keyhole squared away for eight inches. Yeah, yeah. My, my standard chef knife is 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 bang on eight inches. Yeah, yeah, yeah baby. 
I, I mean, look, eight inches is the best. I mean, unfortunately, <laughs> it's it's gonna it's not gonna give you the uh, maximum amount of money, but it's actually in regards to your all around chef's knife. Eight inches makes it happen. Right. Boom. Yeah. I'm not gonna say any more sex jokes. They don't like <laughs> it. They don't like all my keyhole sex jokes. All right. Hey, man, can I ask you a question? <laughs> um, Gabe, at, at Gabe7466 writes, what do you do when you break a custom order knife? <laughs> cry. What do you do? You cry. Start over. Yeah. Yeah. You, it's the only way. I think that sometimes it's, the, it's like – it's like a, it's like stretching out your how much stress in your guts you can handle. It's like you 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 learn how to like you learn how to, you get comfortable with uh, just being miserable. And I usually, especially you know, if I'm not, I don't I don't call the customer up right away, especially if I have them. I mean, this might be cheeky, but I don't feel the need to say, all right, I fucked up, I got to start over again. I just start over again, you know. And it, you gotta you have to stand by your work. You can't throw yourself around. Doesn't pay. You just have to be like that's. This is this is why everybody doesn't do it. This is why you know it ain't for everybody. And you just got to do it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I'm with I'm with Jeff. Uh, actually, that's why when I make make a Damascus knife, I make sure I, I make enough material for two knives because I've definitely had you know gotten halfway there, gotten to the heat treat, finished grinding or something and straightening out a blade like we talked about last week and had a blade crack um because I was tweaking on it too hard and so it was very stressful and frustrating and infuriating but I had more material so but because of how much time it takes me to make my knives usually one of the first things I do is I got to get a hold of the customer and say look you know I know I'm about a week into this thing already but I got to start over because this happened. And, and then, but it, it, the whole going back to Jeff's managing your customers' expectations, I think, you know, a major part of all of that is maintaining a strong level of communication. And as long as you do that, I've found that customers are, are 100% totally receptive um, as long as you're keeping them in the loop. That's yeah. so critical is to be have have a very honest, transparent relationship. Also, with forging, when I forged, I made a pile of integral knives, and two of them I broke the, I cracked the bolsters. With a, something like high level, you know, a lot of work like that, a little backup might be a good idea. Like I now, when I do, uh, when I heat treat or forge a heat treat uh, integral knives, I'm gonna do a couple at the same time. I'm not gonna just do one because. I, I don't have that much faith in myself. I might something might happen. You know, my my oil might be a little too cold. Or I might, you know, twenty five degrees makes all the difference. Yeah. You know, the difference, you know, so you know, something can happen and and just, you know, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Yeah. Have some backups. And when I did all those uh uh when I do uh the big um a giant amount of uh you know, I do thirty five Cuban knives, I had a couple in the in my back pocket just in case. It's a good move. Not the end of the world. Well, and then if you don't use it, you use it for something else. Right. I think we could definitely go a whole episode talking about the different uses for a carbide file guide. Um, but actually, this is a play off of a question I got from somebody through DMs um, just this past week. And he does a thing where he forges his knives 
he does uh, forged integral knives, but he forges the bolster. So he's got this brute to forge bolster, which is a, it's a really good look. But the trick is, how the hell do you hold on to that thing? And uh, especially if you have file guides, and uh, and clean up the bottom of that bolster so you can get a clean fit up to your handle. And so I sent him a little sketch, which I posted up on my Instagram. Um, and it, they're in my highlights, but anyways, it, it, you create these little wedges, um, that essentially there are two spacers on either side that fit inside of your file guide next to your bolster, but they have little V shapes cut out and they, that will help capture your, your chef's knife or your bolster, what, um, for your, for your forged knife. And so that works if you've already done some forge to shape, like brute to forge aesthetic or if you've already pre-shaped it so i i will say that uh our our buddy bill banky he makes a couple different styles of uh file guides and one are uh, the pair are straight and then there's another pair actually that has kind of a v-shaped um side to it half of it is has a v-shape mm. so that helps accommodate and capture at three points um if you've already pre-shaped your bolster um so, but it, I think I, I, my, my point is, uh, you know, file guides are a great and very useful tool. If you don't have any, get a hold of them. If you think you want to do bolsters or sorry, integral bolsters, um, they're in, in, incredibly necessary. Um, critical, super critical. Yeah. And, and so when it comes to capturing and cleaning up the bottom side of that bolster, for me, when I do it, I, I most of my stuff, I've, forge slightly oversized so I can grind in a couple flats um, and and then capture my bolster in those file guides very nicely and securely. But again, if you already have it rounded either by forging or pre-shaping, um, because after, after heat treating, that's a lot of material to try to grind away uh, and it's really hard on your belts. So preforming that a little bit before heat treat is not a bad idea. Uh, but the, how are you going to capture that? And so using either those little wedges, if you have straight shoulder file guides, or if you have Bill Banke's, um com- combination file guides that has the little kick out, um, those are going to really help you get a hold of that bolster and, uh, and get that thing shaped up and cleaned up on the bottom side so you can get a nice fit up on your handle. That's what I use. I use Bill's. I bought Bill's integral bolster file guide nice. at the Blade Show. He he just started making them. I, <laughs> I reserved one, and it was awesome. It 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 held it held the bolster perfectly. So when I could clean up the underside of the bolster, it was. Per- I mean, it was it was perfect. I, if I mean, we've said it a hundred times. Bill Banky makes the great. He's an awesome guy. He stands behind his, his products, and he's making new yeah. stuff for new knife makers. And the integral bolster. Integral bolster file guide is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So my note this week is is serrations. It's taken me probably six or seven months to to get these to a level where I'm happy with them. So I first made my sort of the, the prototype bread knife, if you like, about six months ago. I made a couple of different versions. Um, eventually got it right, but it was it was just very much hit or miss. There wasn't really a system. It, it, I just I did it one day and it worked. Um, but I thought, well, it wasn't really repeatable. So how am I going to make this repeatable? So this could be a product that I can I can sell, that I can make on a regular basis. So a few weeks ago, I I made I made half a dozen blanks, and I thought, right, let's get these right, and let's have some sort of system. So I did half, which were 
beveled on each side. So I beveled them almost like a carving knife. So it's an eight and a half inch blade. Um, I'd put an edge on them like a, like a carving knife. Um, so on half of them, I did both sides as you normally would. On the other half, I just did a, almost a chisel grind. So mm-hmm. it was just beveled on the one side. Yeah. Thinking there is if you're cutting bread, you could have nice straight edges, um, per slice. Um, it turns out that that didn't work too well. So, so oh, really? the best way is it is a double double edge. It just wasn't staying straight. You're trying to cut any resistance; it would sort of spin the knife. Oh, wow! Um, so I found it was better to have um, a double grind. But when it then came to the serration, so basically you're making you're almost finishing the knife. You've got to put your final finish on it. Um, it's got an edge. It, it's basically a carving knife at this point. Then what I do, I get some some tape, some masking tape. Big shout to the masking tape this week. It's, it's getting a lot of a lot of chat. Um, but put the tape across the blade, um, but still leaving um, the last sort of 10, 12 millimeters exposed so you can still see the steel. Um, measure off, I mean, I'm using a, a 12 millimeter contact wheel for my serrations, but whatever size contact wheel you have, measure off gaps, almost like a tape measure across that tape so you know that those are the, the, the right places to start grinding. Right. Um, and then I'm just holding holding the knife um, vertically, um, and I've got my uh, small wheel attachment on with that 12, 12 millimeter um, wheel. Um, I'm having it as fast as I mean normally people use a VFD and they'll turn the speed down if they're using a small wheel attachment, um, simply because it, it's spinning that much quicker. Um, but I have mine as fast as I can get it without the belt jumping. Hmm. So then I'm just holding the knife vertically. I'm looking at those lines that I've got on the tape. And I'm literally just zipping them in, and it takes a fraction of a second perspiration. So you, you zip one in, you move it down that amount that is on your on your tape that you've measured out. You zip the next one in, and you just go through. And it'll take probably thirty seconds to do the whole knife for the serrations. It's all about the setup. So make sure you get your your measurements right. Um, get a bit of scrap. You're doing your very steady hand, so get a bit of scrap first, and then and just put one on scrap. So I'm not putting the knife directly so the blade point is hitting the the wheel i'm bringing it off about 15 degrees um so on one side you will see a um scallop scallop a scallop exactly a scallop <clears throat> on, on the one side on the one side you won't on the one side you will um but you can use those scallops then to when you finish just to see you know what's gone wrong what hasn't um if the scallops aren't all exactly the same you can go in very 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 carefully and just tidy that up uh, but I find that it worked every time. So I did a batch of six knives. Every one was was perfect, um, all exactly the same because I'm using the same measurement on each. Um, and yeah, it, I think it's one of those things that you just need to do a lot of because it's, it's sort of muscle memory, really. <clears throat> just just zipping in those serrations. Um, but I've got a few pictures on my on my Instagram feed of of them happening. Um, but yeah, if anybody's got other ways of doing serration, I know people make you know, jigs with files and so on. Um, but if anybody's got any other way of doing serrations, let us know because I didn't really have a way of doing it and I've just sort of stumbled across this and it worked really well. So if you've got another way, let us know. Well, that's also the way that Mareko, you showed me for the most part. I mean, that's almost identical to what you you came to my shop and you showed me how to do it and that's that's kind of what I was doing. Right, right. I, I did actually speak to Mareko about six months ago about this. Uh, and Yeah, I probably did take a lot of what he said. I can't quite remember. Um, but it probably is Mareko's way of doing it, to be honest with you. Um, but it's just something that I put aside for six months and I hadn't done. 
It was only until the beginning of last week. I was like, right, let's, let's tight, just nail this. It's a yeah. tight move. It's a tight move. Yeah, it works very well. It works very well. Yeah, yeah. What have you got, Jeff? Uh, well, all right. So <clears throat> I, I, I talked about this in the beginning, and I, and I, and I um, a long time ago, I could I had a hard time dealing with um, flexible knives, like a, a fillet knife. All my knives were like, if I did a fillet knife, I'd basically do a, a very stiff boning knife. And what I, I kind of stumbled upon um, doing this way of, and it's not, it's not, I didn't really look into it. I just decided to do it. I ended up one time got, I got, um, I was ordering some 332nds and they sent me accidentally um, a 16th inch plate. And they said, I just keep, we don't really, we can't, don't really send it back. So I used the 16th inch um, 440C. I thought, all right, well, maybe, what can I do with this? And I thought, well, let's make some steak knives. So I, I made some steak knives with the 440C, and I noticed that it was very flexible. And what I did was, was I heat treated it to the full thickness. So I thought, you know what, why don't I try, and I noticed how flexible it was after I heat treated it, plate quenched this 440C stainless. So I decided that I was going to give a whirl at um, making a long, thin slicer. I make a lot of Gravelox. That's, I talked about it in the beginning. But what I did was I made a long, thin knife. And the thickness the, the, from the edge to the spine was about three quarters of an inch, and it was like uh, all day. It was about 18 inches with the handle and everything like that. So what I did was I, I cut it out, I profiled it, I drilled the holes, and I kept the thickness of the stainless, the thickness. So I heat treated it. It's 440C, so I heat treated it. I brought it up, and then I heat treated it. I quenched, I plate quenched it. I wrapped it in foil, obviously, and then I plate quenched it with air, at 1900 degrees after about a little under five minutes for that 16th of an inch. So what happened was I play quenched this long thing uh, flat. I didn't pre-grind the bevels at all. And so it was only three quarters of an inch uh, from the from the spine to the edge. Then I started grinding it. I, then I uh, tempered it at 400 degrees two times uh, uh, for two hours each. And then I started grinding it, grinding in the bevel. And I actually used uh, Bill Benke's um, radius platen to make a little, because you know, at you know, uh, three quarters of an inch, you don't have a lot to go with. So I used the radius platen to make us a ho- like a like a hollow grind for the most part on this uh, this thin slicer. And I would nice. grind it and then dip it, grind it and dip it, keep it cold, keep it cold, keep it cold. And all of a sudden, I was like, well, let's just see how flexible this thing is. And I flexed it past 100 i mean almost 150 degrees i had it past 90 and i was bringing it back i was bringing it back almost <laughs> like a like a like a like a rapier almost and then i let it go and it flipped back and it went 100 percent straight i didn't have any torque there was no it didn't bend it didn't hold the shape it went straight nice. and and so people were saying well how'd you do that what'd you do what you know uh john porter jonathan porter of doghouse he said oh you just grabbed a bandsaw blade that's a fucking you bullshit me <laughs> and no so basically here's the thing <laughs> so it was 16th inch 16th inch is 16th inch is uh 1.58 millimeters thank shout out to chris zepp all right so you know the, the, a lot of the flexibility is, and I, and I don't know about re, in regards to carbon steel, oil quenching, and stuff like that. The thinner the material is, and, and you know, I also made a couple chef knives in the 16th inch. If you have a two inch heel, it's not going to be as flexible as something that's got a, um, a three quarter inch from the spine to the uh, edge. Yeah. So, what I would suggest is give it, you know, you need something thin, but also something not too wide. 
You know, like a a boning knife, might, uh, a fillet knife might be great, especially considering that they're not that uh, you know deep. The the heel isn't that deep. Right. So that's what I did. 440C turned out great. I'm gonna put an edge on this thing and cut up some salmon soon. I might actually start doing it more often because I don't think you know I I deal with a lot of charcuterie guys and they're interested in this, the flexibility. That super crazy flexibility isn't for all knives. I don't think it's something that you really, you know, it's super long. It's like a 10 inch blade. The fucker is like a banoodle if you want it to be, but it holds its shape. It's a banoodle. Um, <laughs> it's a noodle. I meant to say a noodle, but I don't know. My, you know, I my thought you mouth were saying moved blade the, noodle. Banoodle. A banoodle. Yeah, it's a banoodle. So <laughs> I'm actually going to fool around with that for some uh, flexible boning knives. Yeah. Uh, I mean, flexible fillet knives. But I, and I saw this from uh, a, from a few other guys. It, it's it didn't start out thick. It started out very thin. It started out with sixteenth inch, and then three quarters, three quarter. Now I I would imagine the wider you get, like a like a brisket knife, which is closer to inch inch and a half, you're going to have some flexibility, but you're not going to have as extreme a flexibility. Right. So that's it. I got to find in my experience in grinding knives, and I, for a little bit, I was actually taking them a little too thin. Um, because they were getting super flexible. I usually call it whippy because I feel like you could use that mm. damn thing as a whip. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I like the noise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, whip- uh, it's whippy. Yeah, but I found that um, even with super high hardness, if once you get below that 16th of an inch um, dim- cr- uh, cross-sectional dimension, the thickness, um, it starts kind of wiggling all over the place, there, or it can. And so the farther you take it, the more flexible it becomes. And and so I think even if you start with thicker stock, like I'm doing with my chef's knives, um, it's starting at least an eighth of an inch thick, if not maybe a little thicker than that. And I'm grinding it down. But I found that magic line is, it, it's between, it, it's right there at about a sixteenth of an inch, about 60 thousandths right. of an inch. It starts flexing all over the place. So if you're right. looking to make a chef's knife and you're wanting to keep it a little bit on the stiffer side, and a lot of customers like a stiffer chef's knife, just for the fact that it's not it's cutting where you where the customer wants it to cut versus it flexing around and cutting somewhere else. Um, you want to try to stay on that sixty thousandths at least along the spine. Um, uh, you want to stay above that sixty thousandths mark; otherwise, things are going to start flexing pretty well. Um, but again, that's just in my experience with the the high carbon steels that I work with. It, it could be a very different story with other stuff, but yeah, and of hmm. course, and a distal taper is going to take away a lot of that flex too. Like a distal yeah. taper is almost like is it's almost like um, like a gusset. You know, you're you're like right. you're triangulating it and it makes it a lot stiffer. So it, this this was a you know the spine <clears throat> of this was a 16th inch, no no distal taper, uh, very gradual uh, edge to to zero. Um, and it was, it, it held that flexibility the whole length. There you go. Boom. There you go. Next. Beefs. I've got a beef this week. Um, it's happened multiple times. So people just putting up a post on Instagram and they're tagging other makers in their posts. So they're not atting them in the, in, you know, as in the description, but they're actually tagging them as if that person's work is in the post or as if that person mm. is appearing in the post in some way. So I can open my phone and I'll get a bunch of notifications where people have just tagged me in the post because basically what they're saying is, have a look at my work because they're nagging me. They're saying, look, here's a notification. Come and have a look at my work. 
And, and some of these people I'll follow and some people I don't follow. But I just find it really weird. Why tag somebody in your work? It's, it's bizarre. And I get it myself. I get it under the, the Chop Knives account. I get it under the, the Knife Talk podcast account. We've, we've had a few of them this week as well. Yeah. It's just bizarre. So, you know, if you want to, you know, in the description, if, if you want to, you know, thank somebody or something, that's fine. You know, at them, whatever you need to do. But tagging somebody in the post, and you go to that post and then you're not mentioned in any way so it's got nothing to do with you it's just bizarre yeah bizarre. Old, so, old man lockwood so, leave him alone <laughs> oh leave old man lockwood alone in these newfangled social media account thing you yeah, sons of bitches yeah. don't stop talking to me <laughs> i think uh i i think it's weird too i especially when i i've been tagged in stuff that has nothing to do with knife making or me i look at it and i'm like yeah why the hell was I even tagged in this sock advertisement or whatever the hell it is? Yeah, and sock advertisement. <laughs> I don't. It's just like random stuff that has nothing to do with me or knives or anything. And I yeah. think part of the mistaking under, understanding of some people is they think if I tag these people, they're gonna see my stuff and they're gonna follow me, or maybe some of their followers are gonna mm. see it, and they they see it as a strategy for gaining followers uh, in a way or garnering relationships with with people they who they admire, which is flattering. But at the same time, it it gets back into that range of being a little on the spammy side of things. And yeah. and, and oh, again, yeah. if they if they tag you in the in the caption and say, you know, at Chop Knives would love your opinion. That's t- completely different from just randomly, just cold tagging, basically. Cold tagging yeah. somebody in and the And quite post. often, it's because of a, a competition. It's like, tag five people for your chance to win, um, you know, which is, which is bad enough. But sometimes it's not even that. It's just it's this random tagging. Bizarre. Yeah. Very strange. You, you guys are old. That's what the problem is. You guys are old. You stop tagging me. Tag, leave me alone. I got to work on my keyhole. I'm playing with my keyhole. Uh, discourteous neighbors. Uh, I live in a. Oh! <laughs> I live in an apartment. Uh, hopefully, you know, not for very long because we're going to be moving back to Washington. Yeah. But uh, the whole time we've lived here, we have had nothing but horrible neighbors. And you know, work living in in apartments, we expect okay, we're gonna they're going to be noises from time to time because your house is literally attached on either side to somebody else. That's understandable. But when it's 1.30 in the fucking morning and you're blasting your music, <laughs> having loud conversations and screaming and laughing or arguing, I'm calling the fucking cops. And time to time, I, you know, I've gone over and tried to be like the nice neighbor. I mean, like, hey, I'm sorry. You know, I have a two-year-old baby trying to sleep over here. Could you t- yeah. quiet it down? I'm like trying to go that route. Nothing has ever changed. And it happens all the time and i wish i had like an electronic or electromagnetic pulse machine that could shut like people will sit out here right behind my house with their car blasting music again this was happening at midnight midnight 30 last night and i'm just like who the who the fuck are you why do you think you're so special you're so rude i want to kick you in the face (laughs) i actually bring home a power hammer one day and just get that going no, I, got I, one, I, actually I got my right very, hand and my left hand I'm gonna fucking choke him I actually have a very fun, when I was a little bit younger my wife, before my daughter was born my wife and I lived in this apartment and all of a sudden we were woken up 
to these this couple fighting. Like they were going at it. No son of a bitch and screaming at him. You, 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 he's yelling, she's yelling, and I make I I said. Hillary and I wake up and, and she says, don't you touch me. I'm going to call the police. And my wife says to me, she's like, you got to do something. I'm like, got to do something. What am I going to do? And she's like, you better do something. Something's going to happen. So I, I, I'm like, all right, God damn it. And I get up irritated that I have to go do something. And I, and I realize, all right, this guy's a little guy. I'm going to just like, I'm going to like mad dog him a little bit. I'm going to knock on the door. I'm going to like be a little intimidating. So he's, she's, the wife's screaming and screaming and I knock on the door and this little guy comes to the door with his girlfriend in their robe. And they're like, hey, Jeff, what's going on? I'm like, what's going on? You tell me what's going on. And she's like, what? You just woke me up. Like, what? You just woke me up. It was the wrong fucking apartment. I fucking, I went after this guy. I fucking thought, I, I, and so I'm like, what, what do you mean? I heard you screaming. He's like, no, you just woke us up. What are you talking about? And I'm like, oh, this is terrible. So I go back in the bed. I take my, you know, my robe off. Hillary's up. She's like, she's got the the sheets to her neck. She goes, well, what happened? What happened? I was like, it's the wrong house. And she goes, well, what are you going to do? I'm like, I'm going to go back to sleep. Let the two of them kill the each other. Next yeah, the next time. The other guy, I'm not doing it to, I can't go to two house. I can't go to two apartments. You think them fuck themselves up? I don't care. I, I, I've done my bit. I, I woke up the wrong people. I threatened a perfectly nice, normal guy and I made a mistake. And she's like, well, you got to go do something. I'm like, yeah, you do something. I'm not doing anything. I'm going back to sleep. Oh, I'll never do that again. All right, I have a beef with a lot of people, and one of them is I have a beef with this whole strange uh, forged in fire knife. This is something that uh, I've been sent to me, and I want—I think we should talk about it in a very, very normal and natural and honest way. So I recently got sent a picture. Somebody said that there's this like QVC-ish type. Uh, knife being made with the Forge and Fire logo and with the History Channel bumper on it. And it's one of these $29 bullshit knives from, sorry, Mareko, looks like China, but you know, you know how it is. So, so, so all these Forge and Fire guys are angry. I had a Forge and Fire champion say that let him in a bit bad. Uh, taste in his mouth and I, I looked at it and some people think it's got to be a joke it's got to be a joke it can't be associated with the show and then all of a sudden all these people on Facebook they're writing in they're writing in they're writing in so we kind of looked into it and it was it's annoying and it sucks because it's about the integrity of the show and the people who are in the show mm. but the problem is we've anthropomorphize this business. And when I say anthropomorphize, I mean, we're putting into this business what we want it to be. Annie, the parent company, had a license and a trademark for the name Forge and Fire, and they own the History Channel, and they obviously have some, you know, licensing agreements, and somebody came in and met the requirements of the licensing agreements and paid for it, and they made a knife for, for with the Forge and Fire name. And I just feel like it, it's not good for the knife-making community, but this mm. is a business, and the A&E doesn't give a fuck about you guys. No. That's the thing. This, when I say anthropomorphizing, here's a good example. My dog, Bessie, when she's outside, she'll eat a little grass, and then she'll make a face. It looks like a smile, and my wife will say, oh, look, she's smiling. That means she's happy. And then she immediately throws up. She wasn't happy. She wasn't smiling. That was the contraction of her face that made it look like a smile. These businesses are trying to squeeze 
everything out of their, the leveraging of the name of Forge and Fire, of leveraging all the branding. They have, you know, they don't really give a shit about <clears throat> integrity nor about you. So I, I was irritated and I thought it was a, a very uh, tone deaf and, and tasteless thing for A&E to do. I think that everybody who's involved with Forge and Fire probably doesn't feel so good about it, but this is business. Hmm. Yeah. I think it shows how the show is sort of mainstream, how people who are not necessarily into knives are aware of the show. So when they see this, this you know, this, I think it's a chef knife, as well, it's a kitchen knife of yeah. some sort. When they see this with the forged in fire logo, they're like, oh, I recognize that logo, you know? Um, but yeah, it's, it's a piece of shit. But at the same time, it's not as if I think people. I think a lot of people, a lot of knife makers on Facebook, are saying, "Oh, you know, writing to Fortune Fire as if like you know the executives at A and E are are all getting together with Doug Markita at a big table and saying, well, what do you think?'" And then they're turning. Somebody's like, "Well, what are they? What are they?" And then they're like, "Well, what are they saying on Facebook?" They don't give a fuck. You have to see these businesses, especially with trademarks and licenses. They're like a toll. It's like a toll bridge. It's like a toll booth attendant. You have yeah. a price to cross. The, you have a price to cross the bridge and if you pay it it's not as if they look at your fucking car before you pay it you know you paid the bill but we're not looking at your car we're, you'll go ahead cross the bridge these guys are trying to squeeze every dime and that's it you have to kind of come to the conclusion that these businesses are businesses and they're going to behave like a business yeah. So I don't know what my beef is. I'm I'm, I'm irritated because the knife looks like a, it, obviously it's a company that does this. I mean, this is they even if you watch the video, the video it's the same horseshit that they do on all these videos. And the, the only thing that's Forge and Fire is the is the History Channel and then the and the name Forge and Fire. But they don't take Clip Marekovain on the video. They don't have anybody in, associated with the the video on the video. They've just bought the name, yeah. and they know how to make those two those twenty nine dollar knives. So with a free paring knife, and with a free paring knife, and and oh, I can only imagine. I can only imagine all the shit everybody's getting, and like, and like, can you imagine that they went with surgical steel? What the fuck is surgical steel? I love it. I love that. I'm thinking. I'm thinking these motherfuckers in China didn't give a fuck, or actually, it's in 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 uh, in in Colorado. They didn't give a fuck. They don't. You, they don't even think they watched the show. Probably. They, <laughs> they don't even make culinary knives on Fortune Fire. Well, what's hilarious is almost nobody has made a chef's knife on Forge and Fire. It's never been part of the competition, None. really. But they've using you that name to, to leverage it for culinary knives mm, instead strange. of hunting knives or Bowie knives or little mall ninja swords or I don't know. <laughs> Well, if you look at it, I mean, if you were to say, all right, let, let's just say, let's just say that A and E decided, all right, let's just do this the right way. How do you do it the right way? You don't call up, you know, uh, Jonathan Porter, Doghouse Forge, and say, how you want to make ten thousand knives, and we want to make sure that they're under a hundred dollars because our uh, the people who watch our show aren't going to be paying four or five hundred dollars for a chef's knife. So then, you know, because I've had that too, where when I was making knives with uh, Carl Ruiz, I would get messages saying, when are you going to make knives for a working man? Why, when are you going to make knives for me? Why, why does these have to be so expensive? So you also have to think about, there is no way that Forge and Fire would be able to 
uh, satisfy not only the the you know being able to make something for the general public, right. but to satisfy the artists and the artists, the artists, the oh, artists the artist. on the show. <laughs> so it's 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 a tough spot. I think that they also had to try to use their trademark. You know, I, I'm under the impression you use it or lose it. So yeah. I think that um, you get to the point where they had to they had to move something. Otherwise, you know. You squeeze that lemon. Well, another thing that's interesting is I've seen some a lot of pushback from fans of the show, and I think that company that's using Fortune Fire name brand to sell these kitchen knives thinks, "Oh, this is great. It's going to be easy." But I think uh, the, the sh- what the show has done has has bred a lot of loyalty and appreciation uh, for makers. Yeah. And so uh, fans of the shows, non makers who uh, see this, they're like they see bread being taken out of the mouth of actual makers for this for these knives and i've I've seen some pushback from essentially who would be the potential target demographic of this company from colorado and i think they just completely made a huge mistake instead of just branding with the a and e they should have tried to partner with somebody and say will you help us push this line it'll help us lend us some credibility they didn't do that at all they just went and tried to do it on their own. And I think because but, they're not tied to anybody, a lot of customers are going to see it and say, mm, that's kind of shitty, man. Why are you guys doing that? I, I'm not 100% sure. And by the way, I just I, – I, Colorado, it might not be for me. I, I, I saw well, whoever, one of the holding, yeah. one of the companies from Colorado. I'm not 100% sure. But the fact is, is this style of, of this type of company – this isn't like they've invested in all this new equipment to make this knife. Oh, they've no. made this style knife before. So it, all they all their investment was was buying the licensing. They didn't have yeah. I mean they, they, yeah. this is like some standard off the, you know, if you had made, you know, it's like a standard thing. You're just you're just changing the stencil. You know, I, I think that right. they I think that they're they're looking at trying to just make a, you know, a little bump. I don't think that, you know, this isn't going to be they didn't put all their eggs in this basket. No. You know, and, but you know, twenty nine dollars for two knives. A lot of people who like the show, <clears throat> pardon me, are going to assume, like everybody who's bitching on Facebook, that the show had something to do with it. Whereas clearly they didn't. But I don't think that people make that. I mean, look, when I saw it first, when Matt Paul put it up, I was just like, this is distasteful. I said, this is very, this is a tone deaf situation. And then the longer I looked at it, I was just like, nah, this is what, a, you know, this is the scorpion and the, what is the scorpion and the frog kind of thing? This is, this is what they do. Yeah. So why are you surprised? Well, yeah. And I th- I've had a lot of people complain about the, the format of the show itself to step away from those knives really quick. And they're like, why would they, why would they do something like that? Like some of the crazy ass challenges they have people do or the way they, they, they uh, form or I guess edit the show to make certain people look a certain way, um, which may be out of their normal character or whatever. And I, to all these people, I tell them, I'm like, they don't care about the makers. They don't care about us. Their job is to sell advertising space. They're trying to create a show that right. keeps eyeballs on the screen, so that yeah, they can entertainment. Yeah. So they can leverage those eyeballs to potential advertisers and say, "We have one and a half million people watching our show on Tuesday nights. You want to sell your product there?" And so that's why you get all those <laughs> Viagra commercial and ramp truck commercials and stuff in there because it's all about eyeballs. It's all about exposure. And and again, they don't care. They, all they care about is selling advertising space. 
Yeah, there's no virtue. There's no real there's virtue. No virtue. They're not looking out. No. For, they're not looking for the. This is <clears throat> this is a business trying to squeeze, you know, some juice out of a you know uh, almost finished up orange. You know, there were. Yeah. This is no surprise. I mean, not not a surprise whatsoever. I I think that my beef is almost more towards knife makers who are more surprised they would do this than. And, and this is not a surprise, including myself. I was surprised until I really started thinking about it. And it's just like, eh, no, not, not that surprised. Yeah. That's a show. That's a show. So, again, thank you for listening. We've got the forum at um, knifetalk.net. Um, we've got all our past um, episodes. And I think next week is actually the 50th episode. Really? Yeah, 50th episode. So we've, we've flown through these. Um, so go and take a listen to those if you haven't listened to them all. Um, the earlier ones, um, very different style, um, but, um, but sort of one-on-one interviews with makers, that kind of thing. Awesome interviews. Um, they are great. So that's all at knifetalk.net. Um, follow us at Knife Talk Podcast on Instagram. Give us a review on iTunes or whatever sort of podcasting network you listen to because it all helps. And uh, with that in mind, we shall speak to you next week. Yeah. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.